Falava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susanna Suiswiki. Coming up. Do you know your, your family members that are here? Do you know who's here for you? No, I've seen them on <laughs> Facebook and things, but yeah. An emotional reunion touches hearts at the Pacific Games. Also, Vanuatu have yet to contain its political instability. And later on. All of our rights are equally important. Child abuse is not the Pacific way, says delegates at a workshop in Samoa. But first, media in Papua New Guinea estimate the number of villagers forced to move by the eruption of Mount Ulawan in West New Britain is now over 14,000. People living near the base of the mountain have been moved to care centres over the past three days after the mountain began erupting on Monday night. A correspondent in PNG, Scott Waide, has more. In the last 24 hours, the alert has been downgraded, but the risk is still there. Hagi Oil Palm evacuated its workers, evacuated the surrounding villages. I've just seen pictures come out of Mount Ulawan and surrounding areas. There's pretty heavy asphalt. Oil palm plants have been destroyed. Trees, heavy asphalt on, on the villages. There were emotional scenes at the Honiara International Airport on Thursday as New Zealand Solomon Islands athlete Jordan Evans Tobata was reunited with her father, Wale Tobata, who she had not seen in nine years, and met her aunties and cousins who she had never met in real life. Kuroi Hawkins was there. How does it feel to be home? Good, good. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> The 19-year-old Otago University student will be making her international debut for New Zealand in the 400 metres, 800 metres, 4 times 100 metres and 4 times 400 metres relay events. I also spoke with our editor-slash-reporter on the ground, Kuroi Hawkins, about how the first week of the Games has gone and what we have to look forward to in the week ahead. Thank you, Sana. Yeah, I think the heat the heat is the main thing this week. It's just been beautiful weather for the Games. A bit hot for me. Uh, This is home, but I think I've been in Wellington too long. It's been really hot. And talking to the athletes, uh, they're also, the heat is a real factor. Um, In all the change rooms where there's aircon, I've I've seen going into interview captains and teams and that, everyone should just strip down on ice and cooling off uh, out out of the heat. Um, There's real camaraderie among the athletes, a real sort of respect for each other. And um, apart from that, obviously, the the incidental incident with um, Fiji and Saar, Someone athletes at the league. Everyone else has seemed to be really, really friendly. I was I was at the weightlifting the other day, and and I saw the other teams actually cheering on um, co- uh, competitors from other teams. So obviously, in the villages and in the in the dining dining halls, and that they've they've made um, friendships and connections. And obviously, some of these people obviously train together and and uh, uh, compete against each other at club and other levels. So yeah, real really positive vibe among the athletes. Um, uh, there have been some power cuts throughout the week. There are a few venues that were affected by uh, major power outages throughout the week and had to stop. I was at the basketball and uh, uh, the power cut out and everyone just had their phone lights on for a bit, which was kind of like a, a outdoor concert, uh, like an impromptu concert. But um, that's that's been a bit of a disruption. And I think that's been the biggest one that's, that's happened so far. How has the middle race been going? Any surprises? At the top of the table, Nicole Donnie, obviously largest contingent here, most athletes, and it has is the defending champion. So they are sitting on 32 gold at the moment. Um, Australia, small contingent. 
but uh, 23 gold among them. So really strong competitors amongst their contingent. I think a few of them already qualifying for Paris too. And I, I believe it's uh, archery, but I'll have to check on that. Samoa has had a, um, a big surge. They've got 18 gold sitting on third. Five silver and three bronze. Um, uh, I got a beautiful shot of Olivia Borg getting their 100 meter butterfly sprint first gold. So hoping to talk to her as well and talk a bit about her journey. So Tahiti uh, sitting at fourth. They have eight gold. Um, have quite a large contingent, so that's probably a bit of a slow start for them. Um, and the host nation, Solomon Islands, just rounding out that top five with eight gold as well. Uh, they they already uh, at this point have earned double the gold that they had in Samoa in 2019. So I think they'd be pretty happy with themselves, the hosts. Who would you say are the underdogs in the games? I think the smaller countries um, uh, with uh, smaller athletes, others. Uh, probably the underdogs, like um, there's one athlete that I'm trying to track down, a swimmer for American Samoa, who's got their only two medals, and I think they're silvers, but he's the only one that's medaled in that whole contingent so far. So I'm keen to, keen to track him down and have a chat with him about his journey and ca- basically carrying his, his the territory, his team, with the medal, medal count for him as well. So, yeah, there's a massive difference in some of the federations. Like I was at the archery the other day, and the, the technical uh, director was pointing out that uh, for the French Pacific teams, which most of them made made the funds and will get most of the golds, and those have massive, massive federations, which are basically mainland France federations, whereas some of these Pacific countries uh, have have federations that are quite small and don't have the the training or the facilities or the equipment even in, in when it comes to equipment-related sport to be able to excel. All right, just moving slightly away from the games, what is the mood like on the ground? Are locals attending the events? I mean, what have they been saying? Yeah, at the, at the, at the venues I've been to, there's been great crowd engagement. Um, there's, uh, I think one of the, the great things is a lot of the vehicles in town have adopted countries and there's different flags flying from the local public transport. Uh, so it's really great to see the flags not just, just being put up by the organisers, but also being adopted by different people. Um, there seems to be a lot of locals that have made friends with athletes, either going out in the markets or probably seeing them out and about. And so you're, um, I'm seeing some athletes sort of engaging and talking with crowd members that they've obviously come across or uh, bought something from or, or been helped in some way. So there's a bit of that going on. Um, uh, in terms of a venue attendance, the big stadium's probably been the least populated. Um, uh, there's uh, um, a few of the rugby games and different games that go on there are well attended. But uh, one of the things that people noted was one side of the stadium has access to food courts and the other side is fully disconnected. So it seems that everyone's just flooding one side which is close to all the food and all of that so that's quite quite interesting but there's also there's a bit of discussion about the pricing of tickets being too expensive for locals so there's a lot of crowds that have gathered outside stadiums to try and get a glimpse into stadiums but the the football matches have been packed all of the football matches seem to be well attended huge crowds there before i let you go koroi what do we have to look forward to over the weekend and heading into next week yeah, so we started to see all of the athletics teams arriving now. So we've got athletics starting next week. We've got boxing. Um, we've got sevens just kicked off. So a lot of, of excitement there. A few sports already finishing up. Uh, the final gold medals for those sports. And the, what we're seeing is those teams that have finished are leaving and are being swapped out with uh, competitors from sports that are yet to come next week. So a whole heap of stuff coming up next week. So much sport and 
hopefully touch wood, the weather stays great. Politics in Vanuatu remain unstable despite MPs managing to avoid a dissolution of parliaments this week. Three prime ministers in a matter of weeks could have become four until efforts to remove Shala Salwai were put aside. Other issues were sorted this week, but what will happen in coming weeks is anyone's guess. Don Wiseman looked to our Vanuatu correspondent, Hilia Bule, to shed some light. After the latest round of political shenanigans, things seem to have settled down a little bit, but just where are we at? We still have Shalo Selwai as the Prime Minister, but he doesn't have that much support. What uh, the President wanted is to solve the differences about the motion of no confidence and also the motion to reinstate the motion of no confidence against Prime Minister Charles Salwai and uh, the motion to reinstate the member of Parliament of Malakula, Grace Shedrak, who was uh, suspended not to enter the Parliament for two years uh, following the allegation that he was threatening to burn down Parliament House. But the instability still remains in the uh, Parliament this time. You have uh, on the government side, you have uh, Prime Minister Charles Salwai with 22 members of the parliament and the opposition side of the leader of the opposition, uh, Bob Lofman. You have uh, 20 uh, MPs sitting with Mr. Lofman. And in the centre of the parliament, you have the first deputy speaker and the former prime minister, Ismail Kalsaka, with eight members of the parliament. So it is a complicated situation because the situation in the parliament is confusing because no one of the three groups has 26, which is the absolute majority, absolute majority of uh, 51 members of parliament. As you know, the appeal court already uh, recently declared that Mr. Bruno Lencon, the member of the parliament of Ambrem, has vacated. So we only have now 51 members of the parliament and None of the three groups, or even the opposition and the government, as the 26. So we've got three current or former prime ministers effectively getting ready to square off against each other. Will that happen? What's going to happen next? Now, uh, I heard that the hunting of the number from the government and the opposition side is underway. And uh, this week we have witnessed one of the members of the uh, parliament from Mr. Kalsakao in the centre of the parliament uh, perform a custom ceremony to Prime Minister Salo Salwai before session. And, and Wednesday during the, the session, the member of the parliament, which is from Santa Constancy, Samson Samson, was sitting in the centre with Mr. Kalsakao. So it is very confusing, but we heard that there is a uh, Currently, the hunting of the member of the parliament, either opposition to get the absolute majority of 26 or the government side to have the absolute majority of the 26. The ball is in the middle of the opposition and the government. Meaning anything can happen, really. This political instability could continue for some time. On Wednesday afternoon, we, we, we say that the opposition will support the government uh, budget uh, after the, the, the support during the special uh, sitting of the parliament. What will happen? Because none of them uh, ask the absolute majority. There had been talk of legislative changes to stop people swapping parties. Is there any chance of that happening? Yeah, we will see during during the special uh, sitting if there, there, there is a, a bill on uh, the area. Uh, but Prime Minister already confirmed that, can, that, that the Council of uh, Minister has already uh, requested a special session for the approval of the uh, 2024 budget and also the other government bill. But we will see if the, uh, the restriction of, of the members of the parliament is also in this uh, special session. The United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child Chair, Anne-Marie Skelton, says more action is needed to stop the rights of children in the Pacific being violated. 
Pacific delegates at this week's workshop in Samoa say the abuse is not the Pacific way. Ms. Skelton wants to see more done to overcome the violence. Lydia Lewis has the story. Taloha everyone and welcome to Samoa, to the CRC committee. I am Monica. I am nine years old. Monica wants adults to listen up. I believe that too many times we the children have no voice and are silent about issues that affect us. I believe all children should have an education so they will know more about the world and how to protect the planet. Unity agrees. We can change the world. The climate crisis was front and center, with concerns children across the Pacific are being denied the human right to a clean, healthy and sustainable environment, an issue that's front of mind for young Sammy, one of the child speakers at the event. We children are affected by climate change and children are demanding action and we children must be free from abuse and must be treated equally and all of our rights are equally important. Delegations from Tuvalu, Cook Islands and Federated States of Micronesia presented to the committee. The UN says Pacific states have an obligation to tackle environmental harm and climate change to protect children. After adding environmental rights and climate change to its children's rights convention, something nine-year-old Monica says is a start. The general comment is a start. But you should do more. Action speaks louder than words. The air I breathe is not clean. It's so hot, I can barely breathe. The trees are being cut and animals, birds and insects are losing their homes. When questioned on why Pacific states need to do better when it's big emitters causing the most harm, this is what the committee chair Anne-Marie Skelton had to say. Everyone has a responsibility, but some states have bigger responsibilities than others because they have a bigger carbon footprint, they've got more to answer for, and they have more resources. It really is a call to a new look at international cooperation in which climate finance and loss and damage are properly considered. She says taking responsibility starts with getting on board with change. All the states in the world have ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child except the United States of America, which of course is also a very big emitter. Young Monica has a message for the US and other big polluters. The beautiful flowers and decorations of the world, of the earth are dying. The oceans and seas are rising fast. Soon enough, it will make its way into our homes. So, what will you do if these things happen to us? How will you protect us? The big issue, a justice of the Supreme Court of Samoa says he's seen far too much of, is violence directed at children. Violence against children in the Pacific is at epidemic proportions, in my view. There is far too much of it, and it has been going on for far too long. Judge Vui Clarence Nelson says civil society organisations are beginning to rock the boat. But governments need to make changes, and so does the general public. I can testify to the fact that the number of cases involving violence against children increases every year and that the severity of what adults are doing to children is mind-blowing. It's staggering. I find it sometimes incomprehensible that an adult would do something like this to a baby. 
committee chair Anne-Marie Skelton says some states are responsible for not systematically implementing strong anti-violence campaigns and laws. We do need to find preventive mechanisms and ways to change patterns of thinking in the region. She says stopping violence in childhood lessens the chance of them offending as adults. If we want to have non-violent societies, and I haven't met anyone yet that doesn't want to live in a non-violent society, then we must start in childhood. Violence is cyclical. The Tuvalu government official says corporal punishment is rampant there. There's a widespread resistance to children's rights based on customs and traditions of the country. In terms of the laws, we contextualize it to the, the way of living in Tuvalu. With corporal punishment in the home and community, it's widespread and this is a big resistance to change. Crown Counsel at the Office of the Attorney-General, Lilitasi Letasi, says children are not able to raise their views in political meetings due to customs and traditions. At this meeting, though, children have the mic. Here's Semi. We children are affected by climate change and children are demanding action and we children must be free from abuse and must be treated equally and all of our rights are equally important. The United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child continues to call on governments across the Pacific to change the minimum age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years old, something Tuvalu has not yet achieved. A 10-year-old can be charged there. Judge Vui Clarence Nelson says most Pacific nations have their minimum age set at 10. In Tonga and Papua New Guinea, children as young as seven can be charged. He says the age 14 is internationally recognised as being more reasonable. There's any amount of science now available and studies that are now available that indicate that in terms of the development of a child's brain, that at that age, it's largely scrambled egg to sort of, you know, put it in colloquial terms. And then there's the issue of child marriage. Another thing Judge Nelson says needs addressing, with calls for the legal age of marriage to be 18 across the board. Raising the age so children like nine-year-old Monica are protected, so they can raise the issues that matter to them. Stop pollution, stop making the plastic, stop climate change. Adults should listen, help and protect the environment for future generations. Issues that won't be fixed overnight, but ones Monica hopes to see improvement on before she's an adult. In Fiji, the country is marking the Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect Day in the Central and Western Division through various events. Last year, 1,968 cases of child abuse were recorded. Save the Children Chief Executive Officer Sharana Ali says the true number is higher with many cases going unreported. She speaks to Caleb Fotheringham. The child abuse and neglect cases, particularly cases of uh, sexual violence against children, is, a, is, a, is an issue which is shocking and it is shameful and extremely, extremely concerning for Save the Children, including you know many of the organizations that are working in this space. We receive data on sexual violence cases from the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions every month. And uh, as per the statistics that have been released for October, it shows that there are five children 
that were actually perpetrators. They had perpetrated sexual violence on other younger children, and the youngest perpetrator was aged 14. And then we had 14 children who were victims, out of which there were three boys, aged 2, 3, and 8, and 11 girls, and the youngest was 5 years old only. So if you look at these uh, you know, statistics, and these are statistics that come up every month, Every month there are, you know, you on average, I think you see almost 20 cases, 20 such cases. And it has been, this trend has been there for a number of years. Even in terms of cases of abuse, neglect, et cetera, there were 1,968 cases that were reported last year. And we are waiting for the statistics to be released for this year as well. So it doesn't paint a good picture for Fiji overall. And we can say that we have some of the highest cases of, you know, abuse and neglect against children in the Pacific region. 1,968 cases reported. Obviously, that's a huge amount. Is there any improvement there? Is that a better number than what it was previously? When you compare these statistics to the data that we have in hand for the 2021 period, we came to know that there were 1,518 cases. But we must remember that a lot of the cases go unreported. And uh, reporting itself is an issue, especially in communities that don't have access to reporting and are not very well linked with services, etc. I think that is part of the challenge. And I would exercise caution when looking at the numbers of reported cases because I would still think that these numbers in reality would be quite higher. What is the Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect Day? The Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect Day is a global movement that is commemorated every 19th of November every year. The key objective of the event is to advocate for the safety of of all children. And every year, Save the Children has partnered with relevant partners. For example, in Fiji, we work very closely with the Ministry of Women, Children and Social Protection and other partners, faith-based organizations, community-based organizations as well. And we commemorate the day as well as, you know, World Children's Day, which is always on the 20th of November. So both events are commemorated together, and it is to recognize children, recognize their rights, the fact that, you know, duty bearers need to uphold the conventions on the rights of the child, as well as ensure that we highlight key issues that children are facing and educate communities on the importance of preventing child abuse and neglect. So the theme for this year is we've chosen every child is one caring adult away from a success story, and it starts with us. And this theme is very important because we want to emphasize the importance of the duty bearers, the parents, caregivers, guardians, for them to take responsibility and, you know, the responsibility of the welfare and protection of children and to ensure that all the duty bearers understand that child protection is a collective responsibility and that everyone, regardless of their role, should actively uphold children's rights and protect them. Events like the Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect Day in Fiji and also just discussions around child abuse in Fiji have been ongoing for some time. So what do you think it will take to actually see some significant improvement in the child abuse space? 
Yeah, you're quite right that these events have been happening for a number of years and we use the opportunity to link directly with communities to disseminate information on, you know, the importance of child, you know, preventing child abuse and neglect and to also hear from children directly, um, to hear from communities as well about the challenges that they are facing to prevent such issues from happening within their communities. But uh, what is needed at this stage is just consistency. So we need, for example, resources. We need funding to be able to continue prevention work in the communities. And that is key. And I think we can say that we have very strong laws and policies around child protection in Fiji with the National Child Welfare Act in place, the National Child Safeguarding Policy, which is coming up for endorsement in the parliament quite soon. Um, So the laws and policies are there, but I think the key gap at the moment is ensuring that policies are implemented and that services are available for children as well and getting those things really consistently delivered to ensure that we're able to protect children from all forms of abuse and exploitation. That's our show for today. Alicia Food will be filling in for me next week, bringing you all the latest Pacific news and stories. To listen back on any of our previous episodes, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till Fast 3-4.